we're, um, we're going to be continuing in our series through James tonight. Uh, this series is going to be going for a fairly long time. It's going to be going all the way up to, uh, to term three, and I've just been really looking... I've just been really enjoying going through this book over the, the past little while, this really practical book that has so much um, insight and wisdom for us here today, just as it did uh, 2,000 years ago. But to start our time tonight, what I thought I would do uh, is let you know a little bit of information about myself that, uh, that many of you would, would not be aware of uh, about how I used to be in a, uh, in a previous life. Um, going through primary school, um, so I'm talking very previous life at the moment, um, going through primary school, I, uh, I did enjoy playing, uh, playing sport at, uh, at lunchtimes. We usually went onto the, uh, onto the Oval and, uh, and played soccer um, during our, our time together. And I did enjoy playing sport whenever the teacher said, look, we finished all of our work early, we're going out right now, we have an opportunity to, uh, to play some sport. And usually when, uh, when people were picking teams, I wasn't up there right at the top, I was more kind of like about one third of the, uh, one third of the way down. So that was the case with, with most sport I, uh, I seem to find. Except there were two sports in particular that I wiped the floor um, with everyone else. And those two sports were swimming and tennis. Okay? Now, don't ask me to verse you in any of those things anymore. I, am pr I was probably far better when I was 10 years old than I would be right now. Um, so they were my two things that I enjoyed doing. I was always the runner-up for age champion. I never got age champion for our swimming carnival every single year. Just couldn't break through there. But the other one that, um, that I did always seem to get always picked first for was tennis. And we had tennis as part of our inter-school sport program at the school that I, uh, that I grew up going to. Um, and I was always the favourite of, uh, of the teachers as we were playing tennis. I was always picked to verse the, the hardest schools and the, uh, and the hardest teams. I was always that, uh, that person. And then we got to, to high school and things changed a little bit for us. Um, suddenly tennis wasn't an option for us in uh, in inter-school sport, but what was an option was squash. And for some stupid reason, myself, the teachers, and all the other students thought that because I was one day really good at tennis, for some reason I'd be awesome at squash as well. They both have rackets, they both have balls. Obviously, you'd be, uh, if you excel at one, you'd excel at the other. And so uh, the teachers decided we, were, we had the same school for primary and high school. Um, and uh, so I was pretty cocky going into playing squash and I was telling the teachers, yeah, I'm awesome at this. You want me to be the, the number one player for this? And pretty quickly, it became apparent to me that I sucked at squash. I was terrible. It was nowhere... Uh, it was nothing like playing tennis, I found. The speed was uh, a lot faster. The balls... Uh, very different if you've played it all before. Um, suddenly, my, uh, my status as the, uh, the favourite with all the teachers with this sport suddenly went right to the bottom. And it wasn't helped by the fact that myself and other people had 
uh, were talking myself up and thinking, oh, I'd just be amazing at this thing. Now, this is a pretty light-hearted example of what we're actually going to be looking at throughout our time together tonight, throughout, the, uh, throughout this chapter two of the book of James that we're going to be looking at. This book of James, as I've said, it's really, really practical, and tonight we're going to be looking at a topic that is really practical for every single one of us here today, um, and we might have encountered what we're talking about here tonight in some really light-hearted ways like what I'm talking, like what I mentioned just before, but we may have encountered what's being spoken about here in some more severe ways through our life. And the thing that I'm talking about uh, that James addresses really specifically is this idea of favoritism. So what do I mean when I say this word favoritism? Well, um, let's just use this understanding of, uh, of giving someone or something unfair or preferential treatment, particularly at the expense of someone else. So that's what we're, we're going to be talking about tonight, and that's also what James was addressing here throughout this, this passage. As I've said um, already, this uh, about two weeks ago when we first started this, this series, um, what James talks about when he goes through uh, his writings is he's drawing on wisdom drawn from all different times in his life and then he is just vomiting out all of these different things that he has learnt throughout his life um, as areas of wisdom for people to be able to receive and then make practical um, in their own everyday lives. The type of favoritism that we um, that we're going to be looking at specifically, um, well, that James at least looks at specifically as he writes this this book, is favoritism that favours um, people uh, based on their status or based on their. Um, wealth within society. So you'll see pretty early on that James is talking about um, do not favour those who are wealthy over those who are poor. But we can easily, just as easily, draw the lessons that he's speaking about throughout this and apply them to all areas of favouritism. I particularly think of things like status in society. The language that James uses here as well, um, it's pretty straightforward. There's one main topic that he speaks about, which is favoritism. Everything uh, is centered around that. Um, and so I'll, even through my research that I was doing this past week into this passage, there's nothing um, that strange that really popped out. What James says here, he means. It's very plain for us to be able to read. And so rather than just picking apart what we're going to be reading verse by verse, what I would much rather us spend time doing tonight is understand the general message of what James is saying here and try and get really practical and learn from it what we can for us here today. So uh, if you have your Bibles, open up to James 2, and it's the first half or so of it, which is uh, verses 1 to 13. It'll be up there on the screen too. And it says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the, uh, to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand here or sit on the floor by my feet, 
you ha have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into courts? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not commit murder. If you not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgments. Before we get into what um, some of the practical implications of this for us here today, I just want to give you a brief outline of what James is saying here. Because as we go through this passage, he is building an argument um, based off his first statement of not showing favoritism. So that's the very first thing he says. Very, very clear there. And the group that he's speaking to is believers. Believers do not show favoritism. Very clear statement, as we can see it right there. Um, and particularly, he says that based on wealth or social status. Second thing that he goes on to, uh, to tell us is that God is one who doesn't show favoritism, but he allows people to inherit the kingdom of God who are filled with faith. God doesn't show favoritism. We see that probably most clearly demonstrated through Jesus on the cross. Jesus died for all people, giving every single person the opportunity to come to faith in him, irrelevant of wealth or social status. That's the second thing. Third thing, love all people. Love your neighbor. The, greatest, uh, the second greatest commandment that we are given, the first greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do not do this, if you do not love your neighbor, if you show favoritism and discriminate, push people to the side, you are sinning and breaking the law of God. Third thing, that was the third thing he said. And then, out of love, show mercy. Show mercy to the most vulnerable, marginalized people throughout our world, because that is the heart of, of God. Everything that James says throughout this passage um, builds off that very first thing that he says right at the start. So, that is a key statement that we need to understand. Don't show favoritism. And to understand why this is such a big deal for James, like he's taking up half a chapter here to communicate this message. So why is this such a big deal for James to, uh, to say this? And to understand why it's such a big deal, we need to understand a certain aspect of the heart of God. What is the heart of God in all of this? Particularly, the thing that we need to understand is that God has a heart for the vulnerable. 
for the marginalised, for the outcasts of society. That is who God has a, uh, a heart for. The passage that we've, um, that we've just read, one thing that we need to, um, to remember is that it wasn't originally written with chapters and verses. Yes, there would have been um, certain Jewish grammar and, uh, and paragraphs and things like that that would have been there, but there were no chapters and verses. And so what I think actually helps us understand really well what is said here is the last two verses of the previous chapter. In chapter one, Ash was preaching on this, uh, on this last week. Um, so just, if you have your Bibles, just turn over real quickly, James 1.27, because what it says there is religion that, our God, that God our Father finds, uh, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So James here, he says, look after orphans and widows very next statement, do not show favoritism. At the end of chapter one, what we could really understand, the big point of what he's saying there by saying uh, care for the orphans and the widows, it's caring for the marginalized, caring for the vulnerable within society. Then in chapter two, don't show favoritism over the marginalized and over the vulnerable within our society today. This is a theme particularly this language around widows and orphans, this is a theme that we see um, not just in the New Testament, but right back, even in the book of Deuteronomy, there is information, there are things um, shared with us to, uh, to help us understand that God has a heart for the vulnerable and outcasts within society. God loves everyone. One, like we need to understand that when we come to passages like this. God does love every single person, <laughs> whether you are on the inner or on the outer. God loves everyone. But the language that is used all throughout Scripture is there is something special, a special kind of care and concern that God has for people who have been rejected by everyone else. The three groups that are often spoken about throughout um, all of Scripture uh, are these, the two that I just mentioned, uh, orphans and widows. And the other group um, that is often spoke about in the same trio is aliens. Now, when I say aliens, what it means there is refugees or strangers, people who are um, of, a, of a different cultural ethnic background than the predominant ethnic or cultural background of the, uh, of the time. And the reason that these three groups are singled out and spoken about as the marginalised or vulnerable is because they were placed in a very difficult situation 2,000 years ago. Typically, it was only, um, it was only uh, men who were able to work and earn money and so it was a very difficult situation to be a widow, having your husband pass away, and suddenly all of your source of income has gone. It's no different for orphans either. If their father passes away and dies, suddenly they are left homeless, effectively, for people who were of different 
um, cultural or ethnic backgrounds, they were often seen as the last people who would be employed or you would buy their products last. And so often these people were the most poor people. They had no way of finding an income. They could often become homeless and turn to crime or become exploited because of how people viewed them within society at the time. And all throughout scripture, again and again and again, I can't, like this comes up so often, all throughout scripture, we see God, his heart revealed for these people, the vulnerable and marginalized. And they have a special place in God's heart. I do want to stress that strongly, that we are all loved by God. Please hear that. Every single one of you is loved deeply by God, but there is a special care and concern that he has for those who are considered vulnerable. And it's out of this heart. It's out of what we just saw in James 1.27. It's out of this. Oh, there's, sorry, there's some of the passages there on the screen. Didn't even realize I put that up there. It's out of this heart that God calls us not to show favoritism. And yet this is something prominent in our world today. This is prominent in multiple societies. Some it's more explicit than others. And there are whole societies that base um, how they operate on, on things like this. So for example, um, in, in India, uh, many Hindu, Hindus operate by the caste system. Some of you may have heard of this before, where people are divided into four main categories. The Brahmins, the something, the Vaishyas and the Shudras. And outside of this caste system is a place that you really don't want to be because you are then in the area of being a Dalit or what's sometimes called um, one of the untouchables. And if you are part of this caste system, you are part of that for your whole life. There is no way of getting out of your social, uh, the social status of, of where you are placed. This will affect what you eat what you earn, where you work, where you live, all of this is affected by what caste you are placed in. And many believe, uh, many Hindus believe that this originated from, uh, from Brahma, who is the, the Hindu god of, of creation. And, and this has existed for centuries within, uh, within their, their society. Um, this aspect, this, uh, how this is... Um, this affected their society, has almost affected every single part of their, how they, uh, they operate, of their religious and social life. And uh, each group occupies a specific place in this, uh, in this hierarchy. Um, one of the ways that this, has, uh, this is so explicit in, uh, in the caste system um, is that even water wells would not be shared between the, the Brahmins and the Shudras. So if a Shudra was to offer a Brahmin food, if a, if a Brahmin was, uh, was starving, they would not accept food from a Shudra. Neither would they accept the water that was offered um, them 
uh, by someone of a, of a lower caste. You couldn't marry or you can't marry someone of a, of a different caste. This is the, probably one of the most explicit ways that we could see what James is talking about um, shown within a society here today. But this is not the only time that this has happened throughout history, um, explicitly. Even in Western society, not that long ago, within the past 200 years, this was fairly, um, fairly well demonstrated within society. Um, Victorian England had its own class system. There was the upper class, where, um, who was the, the royalty, had most of the wealth. There was the middle class and there was the working class, the ones who actually did most of the work and provided all the money for the, uh, for the upper class. Once again, you couldn't marry outside of your class. There were certain areas that you would live in and, uh, and it's only certain people who you would spend time with. Now, um, both of these examples, the caste system and how things were in the, in the, Victoria, the, the Victorian era, both of these examples, we would say they're pretty explicit examples of what James is talking about here. And for many of us, we might be thinking, well, big deal, that doesn't exist for us here in Western society. Do we show favoritism? Is that just something that happened in history? Is that something that happens for us today? Is that something that happens for us in the church? That's an important question for us to be able to answer because the, uh, the group of people that's really specifically spoken about here is believers. Believers, you are the ones who are told not to show favoritism. One thing I think that we need to... Um, to just, I think, understand or get over is that there will be favoritism in the world that has been the case throughout all history and it will be the case to come. We can't just become idealistic and think that that won't be the case long-term into the future. And yet, James says that the church should be something different. Believers should not look like the rest of the world. Verse 1, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. And yet, I would say, I think this is something that's prominent in our Western church today. Let me give you an example. Uh, one one way I've, I have personally found this favoritism pretty prominent in, in the Western church, not overseas, not even just in a different city, but here in Brisbane, is through what I am dubbing cool Christianity. Let me give you an example. A little while ago, I was... Um, I was invited by a friend to visit a church here in Brisbane. And when I was invited to go to this church here in Brisbane, um, I told a couple of my other friends, look, I'm going to be going to this, this church. And they were saying, look, <laughs> um, like if you go into that place, you need, a, you need to dress well. Like at, this, at that church, everyone wears the, 
these certain brands at this time. So understand this is like 10, 15 years ago. So things were a bit different then. But it's always like you need to wear cons or, or vans. You need to wear some, some tight jeans, a, uh, a low V-neck. And I was like, that's all right. I've got all that in my, in my, uh, in my wardrobe. And you need to wear a, uh, a beanie that hangs just off the back of your head. We regret those days, don't we? They were, they were bad days. I regret those days. <laughs> but it just struck me as a little bit strange that this was something that was said to me. You need to dress a certain way to go to this church and be accepted. And my experience stepping into that church, um, I will not name it, I do not think that's honouring to, to, God's, uh, to God's bride, um, but when I stepped into there, I would say that there was an air of trying to impress the people who were there in the room, more than trying to meet with God's people and encounter the presence of God together. And that just struck me because so much of Scripture points to the opposite of that. That's not how Christianity should be. Uh, particularly, I look at James 2, verses 2 to 4, and it says these words. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes or van shoes, skinny jeans and a low v-neck and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man who's wearing great clothes and you say, come on, Here's a seat for you, sit with me. But you say to the poor man, no, 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 you go over there. You sit over there, you stay away from me. We don't welcome those sorts of people. <laughs> Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The issue that's on the table here is not dressing well or behaving in a certain way or thinking a certain way, talking a certain way. None of that's the issue on the table here. But what is the issue on the table here is when we become so much more concerned with external appearances, how we look and trying to impress other people than trying to encounter God and thinking about what he's wanting to do in our hearts. This is our natural inclination. Can I just help us understand like that, that is part of what we naturally want to do. We naturally want to be part of the in crowd. We naturally want to be someone who is liked and valued and, uh, and appreciated. And this can, if we follow our natural desires, cause us to push other people to the side who we don't see as being a part of that. It can be easy for us to, be, to desire this for ourselves, and yet Jesus himself tells us. Matthew 5, 11 to 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The expectation for people in the New Testament was not that they would 
be invited into the church and then suddenly be acknowledged and recognized as one of the cool people. But they would join God's people and by joining God's people, the expectation was now I'm going to be an outcast. (laughs) Now I'm going to be rejected by society. Suddenly by becoming a Christian, you were part of the vulnerable and marginalized. (laughs) Becoming a Christian following the example of Jesus was by its very nature rejecting favoritism. We're called to be a people who reject favoritism. We are called to be a people who are willing to connect with whoever is considered the outcasts in our world today. And the reason that we're called to do this is because primarily we see God's heart and God's heart is for a special place in God's heart is for the vulnerable the widows orphans and strangers those who are not accepted as the inner by society and we see this heart I think just beautifully and fully shown through the person and and work of Jesus A Christian is a Jesus follower. And in Jesus, we see two things that I just think are such a beautiful example of of this. Jesus, he could not care less about anyone's opinion of who he mixed with. He regularly mixed with the tax collectors and sinners and uh, all of the people who were were considered the the sick as well, all the people who were considered the outcasts of of society. And as he met with these people, he had the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, saying, how can you possibly mix with that trash? That's terrible. How can you possibly mix with them? And they were the people he most often mixed with. That's the first thing. We follow the example of Jesus because he mixed with the outcasts. But the second thing, he chose to become an outcast himself. In Isaiah 53, 1-3, Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up, this is talking about Jesus, like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was what? Despised and rejected by mankind. He was an outcast, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. It's my heart, and I think it was the heart of James here when he wrote it to the church, that this group of people here tonight, our church, 2,000 years later at Brackenridge Baptist, we would be a church who is welcoming of all people who come through our doors. Every single person who comes through our doors is welcome, loved by God, accepted, and we are going to welcome them with open arms, (laughs) saying we want you to encounter the presence of Jesus that is open for every single person desperately want to be a church that is like that because we follow 
the example of Jesus, who went to the cross, became an outcast on our behalf. He didn't aim for for cool or acceptable Christianity, but he was rejected by everyone around him so that we might have life. Music team, if you guys want to come up right now, and can we just stand together? I'd just love to to just pray for, for us. Lord, we do want to be a, um, a church that is aware of what you say in your word. It's so clear here that you are calling us to be a, a welcoming church, a diverse church that has people of all different backgrounds and statuses amongst us and we see that that is your heart Jesus when you walked here on the earth that was your heart to to welcome all people no matter how other people viewed them and so Lord I really do ask that you will stir us right now Um, convict us please Jesus If there are things in our lives where we have been thinking of certain people as better or more significant than others, take that away because we want to become more like Jesus. And Lord, if there are going to be things that come our way that mean because of our faith, we are then regarded as outcasts or um, we are made marginalized we embrace that because we see the example of Jesus we do just want to follow the example of Jesus and become more like him so stir in our hearts even right now as we worship you if there are areas in our lives where we are not doing this well if there's areas in our church where we're not doing this well Lord I do ask that you will stir in us by your spirit we will become more like Jesus in your name. Amen.